podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? £115 million worth of well. How are you? <laughs> oh, yes. What a weekend, Mr. Matchett. What a weekend. We will get to many things that took place over the weekend, but we're going to start today's podcast, which is going to be a bit of a run around the houses and a chat about our favourite non-Premier League transfers this summer. We will start with the following question from Mr. Harry Welchie. Loving the rate the players list that I did last week. Here's one for you, Carl Matchett. So pen pen and paper at the ready. Eight names and you've got to rank them. Christian Benteke, Andy Carroll, Elhaj Juff, Neil Meller, Sean Dundee, Florence Cinema Pongol, Ricky Lambert, and Andre Varanen. Varanen. Now, you you can rank them based on total careers or based on Liverpool because he hasn't specified, so I'll add that wrinkle. I will say I am appalled at the presence of Cinema Pongol on that list because had it not been for him, we wouldn't have beaten Olympiacos and he was actually starting to show real promise before he tore his knee up. So I don't like him being on the list, but how and ever. Uh, there is your list, Mr. Matchett. The floor is now yours. There's a little bit of a difference here between the last list that we went through and ranked and this one, isn't there? Um, Harry, well, this list on. smells quite bad. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, I know we're in a, an intergalactic battle for supremacy here, me and you, Harry, but yeah, come on, give me something to work with. Um, I'll start at the top. Cinema on goal top, easy, like by a distance. Uh, definitely the Olympiacos one, but there were also a few other games. I remember a goal against West Brom. I think he might have got two in that game, but one of them was really good to volley into the floor. Um, there were a couple of games where he played out wide where people were talking about him at the time being our version of Sean Wright Phillips, who was doing things, let's say, for... Uh, I can't remember, was it Chelsea or Man City at that time? I think it might have been Man City, but whoever. Anyway, he was very, very good, small. Uh, quick and played out wide. And basically that's some of the stuff that cinema did at that time. Like you say, he had a few big impacts for us. Uh, Olympiacos was one. Neil Meller, who's also on this list, was another one who scored in that game, of course. Both of them have really quick impacts when they came on as sub in that fixture. So cinema definitely top for me. Number two, I'm going to go Andrew Voronin. I know he was rubbish in terms of goal scoring and stuff, but Voronin... I always quite liked him, to be perfectly honest. I, I never saw the the hatred and vitriol that he really got from from some aspects. He was exactly the same player for us as he had been previously. 
he was never the most ridiculously prolific of players. He scored in a few other leagues, obviously, because it was a you know lower level and he was a decent player, but really hard working. Technical level was okay most of the time. Um, pretty fearless, combative. I, I thought he was perfectly fine as a second forward. Uh, so, you know, if you're playing him alongside somebody else, I think Peter Crouch uh, for a little while, the two yeah. of them played together and they you know, they were all right, I thought. Crouch, obviously the better goal scorer, more technically gifted. Six but goals did a lot in 28 the... games in his only full season with us, though. Not a bad return. Yeah. And I yeah, always wondered, Carl, if, if he'd been given the conversion that Dirk got, now mm-hmm. he wouldn't have been as good as Dirk, I don't think, because Dirk's work rate was just off the charts. But I always wondered what would have happened if, if we played him wide like we did with Dirk. Because remember, like... Dirk flopped at Liverpool and then got re repurposed and then became the player we all loved. But he was brought in to be a goal scoring number nine. Yep, hundred percent agree. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think he was quite similar to Count in a lot of ways, except for probably a bit more skillful individually and probably not as good a finisher. You know, in pressure moments, let's say. But overall, and especially for a free transfer, I don't mind Warren in the slightest. I thought he was quite harshly treated by some certain sections of the fan base at the time. And then obviously we very, very quickly moved him on after that. So I'll go for him second. Um, third, Neil Mellor, just because there were a few goals in there, which which were really good. Obviously, Olympiakos was one, but there was a goal against Newcastle. I thought he took absolutely brilliantly in that little period where he led the line because everybody else was injured. Mm. Um, the goal against, the goal against Arsenal. Arsenal. Mm. Yeah, the Arsenal goal was... My probably my favourite one of that season at that point. It was a really, really good game. He'd played absolutely tirelessly. I don't think Mella did absolutely everything he could have done in terms of you know fitness and really making the most of that opportunity when we had nobody else in the team to play. But he did what he was capable of, and I don't think that that's a bad thing at all. So I'm going to put him third. Like I said, lots of really, really good moments as well. Um, here's where I'm probably going to start annoying you because I'm going to go Andy Carroll fourth. Uh, I mean, he was horrendously used by Liverpool. He was a terrible purchase at the time for what we were trying to do. But once you had him, and given the players that we had, I think he was absolutely atrociously used by Liverpool. Um, The number of times you would see Carroll come on and Stuart Downing, the only crosser in the team who was any good at that, would be taken off at the same time, was just mind-bendingly stupid at times. Um, The link-up that they tried to get between Suarez and Carroll, I think, was completely wrong as well. Obviously, Carroll was never of the, the the caliber, sadly, but I think he could have been a lot more than he was. I'm going to put him in there. Again, you've got some moments that we will um, accept. You know, Wembley, Everton, uh, Man City, first couple of goals, that kind of thing. So we, we can at least nod at some moments. Uh, what are we up to here? Three, four? Four. Right. Five. Sean Dundee can be number five because you can bring him up in any conversation where you're making a list of of people who don't really do anything or didn't do anything or were underperformers or a bad signing or whatever kind of list you want to make up. And there's nothing else offensive about him whatsoever in terms of what he did or didn't do because he didn't do anything. So in he goes next. Six. Just on Sean while you're thinking, on my original Twitter account, he used to follow me and I used to chat to him in DMs quite a bit. (laughs) really, really nice guy. Fully admits his time at Liverpool didn't work out, but is still incredibly proud of the fact 
that he yeah. got to play for a club of Liverpool stature, which, you know, given his path, born in South Africa, moves to Germany, comes through Stuttgart Kickers, Ditzinger, Karlsruhe, gets the move to Liverpool, only, I think, played, what, 10 games all told, and moved on after a year. Did well at Stuttgart, did well again when he went back to Karlsruhe. But he is incredibly proud that he got to play for a club of Liverpool stature, which, given this was well over 10 years later, and he had seen and heard the abuse that had been hurled at him by Liverpool fans always putting him in the worst players to ever play for the club list. The fact that he still had that pride says quite a lot about Sean and the man that he is. And why wouldn't you play for Liverpool at any point, even if it's once? I think he played five times, so it's five times. And a lot of us will get to do. Um, After him, there's a bit of a gap, I'll be honest. Then I'm going to go for Ricky Lambert because, again, I think that he was poorly utilised for the type of player that he was and for the type of um, person, physiological person, I, sh- I think I'll say. Give, basically, he was an older player who um, needed to be playing regularly to keep the level of fitness that he had. And using him for five and ten minutes at a time was never going to work well. And then leaving him out of the team when Balotelli was also left out of the team and Barini was also out of the team. And we ended up with Martin Skirtle up front was just an atrocious waste of absolutely everybody's time. Um, so I'm going to go for Ricky Lambert then as top of the ones who I don't particularly enjoy thinking about, but they have to be included on the list somewhere. Uh, if I've got my numbers right, we've only got two more to go. Uh, yes. Cool. Then Christian Benteke, who I never wanted to sign for Liverpool because of the money he was, because everything should have been revolving mm. around one particular player, which was Philippe Coutinho, because he had no particular uh, recourse to link up with Coutinho in the way that made the best of Coutinho at the time uh, because he was a player who kept Bobby Firmino out of the team and because when we refer to the moments of Andy Carroll and a few of the others of Benteke, far fewer and far one. more worthwhile ones. One? Uh, no, that wasn't... No, no, that, not even the one. We no, no, but, but his, his one moment is in a game that we got walloped in. Like, and that kind of sums that's, up that's I mean. that's, his that's career I mean. and, and the end of the Rodgers era. He was also, let's not forget, coming off a torn Achilles. He was a year removed from a torn Achilles, which a player like him, who relied quite a lot on his speed, like when he first came to Villa, he was rapid. Mm. After the injury, he was he was sluggish. They never recovered that speed. That is, for that kind of money, especially given Rodgers had basically forced Carroll out of the club and then went and signed kind of a less effective Andy Carroll, really. In my opinion, much less effective. I mean, there are a few, let's say, out-and-out number nines that I've seen with worse anticipation at the near posts than Christian Benteke. He is so, so statutory in all of those situations. Very, very little movement. Didn't enjoy it at all. So him in seventh. And then after Benteke, it is going to be a big, long gap then rock bottom, then yeah. digging through 50 feet of crap into the centre of the earth, then melting in a big pot so everybody's dead and nobody exists anymore, then doing another 36 of these lists of all of the worst things that you can think of, and then, and only then, will it be Juf. Yeah, that is an absolutely fair and accurate list in my view. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? 
Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. An absolutely fair and accurate, although I believe it's actually 100 feet of crap you'd need to dig through to get to that sack of shit. Right, moving on. Uh, We have a question from Owen Hurley, and we're going to answer this one quickly. Uh, Big question for the pod, because it will directly impact my listening to the second half of it. Tis a fierce, mild evening. A fierce, mild is a a saying you'll only get in certain parts of Ireland. A fierce, mild evening here in West Cork. And I'm out for a walk with the dog. On the way home, do I grab an almond magnum or a 99 cone? Carl, these are the questions that really impact people's day to day. What's your answer? Can we first clarify for people who are not from West Cork? What is fierce mild? Is it like very windy and warm or is it's it just very, close. very warm? Or what is it? <laughs> <laughs> close to what, Dave? <laughs> Irish weather is only Irish weather, Carol. There's no rhyme or reason to what we call it. So, can I clarify? Do you indeed have almond magnums in in West Cork? Oh, yes, absolutely. Is this this a trick question? That's what what I'm asking. Is this a trick question? No, no, you'll get an almond magnum down there, definitely. It's very touristy, you see. West Cork is very touristy. Okay. Uh, I'm not fond of the almond magnums, I'll be honest. So I'm going to say a 99 and see if you can nab an extra flake if you know the guy who's driving the ice cream yeah. truck. Yeah, I'd be more in the mood of a 99 myself. Here it is also, it's become terribly close here. <laughs> and uh, and when the missus gets home from work, I might have to I might have to head down for uh, for a 99. I, I actually like to get it in, in, a, in a cup rather than in the cone because it melts and gets in your hands and stuff. So, you know, uh, but yeah, Owen, the, the 99 is is the uh, the prevailing choice here. Right, Carl, uh, on to less serious business. Liverpool took on Chelsea in the Premier League yesterday at Stamford Bridge. Looked, I would say, somewhere between good and very good for about 15 of the first 25 minutes and then looked largely disjointed and out of sorts. Um, what was your thoughts on the game? Obviously, myself, uh, Guy and Harry did Raw yesterday. You were, you were unavailable. Uh, you will be back for Bournemouth uh, with me and Guy. But what was your thoughts on the game yesterday? Hmm. I was unavailable because I was at the game. Um, so a nice up-close view of massive, massive amounts of green grass in the middle of the pitch, to be perfectly honest, was my overriding assessment. Um, Guy, don't start. It's game one of the season. He's saying, no wonder we drew, all right? You can't just upgrade it suddenly from we don't score to we don't, to to we lose to now we're just drawing, okay? Not every result is down to me. Um, Harold, quick quick aside, quick aside. uh, Were you there (laughs) as a fan or were you there in a media capacity? I was working capacity. Right, so we, we this does not count towards the match at Jinx, 
Guy, we're retracting that statement. This was not part of the jinx. <laughs> now, Carl, the floor is yours again. Good to know. Good to know. Um, I thought for the first sort of 15, 20, we were exactly what I would have expected us to be. Exceptional going forward. Really exciting to watch. Lots of interplay, good movement, some decent pressing from certain players. Um, and absolutely atrocious when there were any kinds of you know, directs, diagonals, counterattacks, runs through the middle, that kind of thing. I think later in both halves, we really lost control of anything at all. We struggled really to, to put any kind of pressure on them in the middle of the pitch and they had lots and lots of possession. I wasn't very happy about that. I wasn't very excited to see that aspect of the game, but also it's game one. We have no midfields. There's lots of change happening and you kind of just got to roll with whatever you get in the first couple of weeks, to be honest. Um, even though they had long, long spells of that, I thought there were moments we could have gone on and won it. There were also moments I thought we could have been beaten by two or three, to be honest. So as muddled and mixed up as we expected, a little bit of a less clinical edge than I was expecting, given the number of chances we had. But also, you know, two goals ruled out. We both said sort of 3 2 2 one sort of scoreline. So largely the game went as expected, except for I think we were too standoffish for longer periods. I think that's fair. I think we lacked a real presence in the midfield area. I thought Alexis and Dominic both looked good, though Alexis clearly was misused. Uh, Cody Gakbo looked like a fish out of water. I thought both fullbacks had particularly poor games. Both centre-backs, I thought, were very good. And the attack, it looked disjointed with Jota there. It just did. There was no connective tissue there at all. Um, but I will say this, if Mo Salah has two better first touches, we're 3-0 up before the Salah goal is disallowed. So we may well have blown them out of the uh, off the pitch had Mo's first touch been a little bit more locked in early on. Uh, the one where the ball got lobbed over to him and he took a touch that bounced off him and allowed De Sassi to cover when it was Mo and Diaz and just the sassy back. And then the other one where it got squared to him on the edge of the box by Cody and his touch just wasn't right to give him a, a proper um, a proper area to step into to shoot and get real power on the ball. But it is what it is. We'll take a point. A point away at one of your biggest rivals, you know, one of the top six clubs, is never going to be a bad result, even when they're a bit of a shambles it's still not a bad result. Obviously, Carl, this this game was merely sort of, you know, a, a side attraction in terms of the real weekend. And we haven't really talked since um, this all began. Uh, on Thursday morning, words started to leak out that Liverpool were talking to Brighton. And then over the course of the day, little bits of, of information came out and it seemed to be progressing. And then... At about one in the morning, on Thursday night, Friday morning, news broke that Liverpool had agreed a British record transfer fee for Moises Caicedo. Now, at some point between that happening and around 11am on the Friday, uh, Chelsea clearly got in the ear of the agent, made promises of untold riches, many of which will probably be off the books. I know you can't comment on that, but I absolutely will. And uh, we started to then hear that Caicedo would, well, prefer the move to Chelsea. Um, certain social media influencers 
uh, said he only wanted Chelsea, but that was never the case. He preferred the move to Chelsea and Brighton, having allegedly set a deadline for Thursday night, then decided to extend the deadline. It then took 59 hours, 59 hours for for Chelsea to finally get a bid together that was acceptable for Brighton and they get the player. We kept our bid in. Who knows why? Did we think Chelsea couldn't put the bid together? Maybe. And it certainly seems like they struggled to get their bid together to, to match ours. Did we do it just to piss Chelsea off and force them to pay over the odds? Because that's what's happened. Um, this is a player that they thought they were going to get for about $85 million. Had they bid in early June before Rice went to Arsenal, they probably would have got him for around 75 Instead, they pay 115, including, well, including add-ons, but apparently they're quite easy to reach and a sell-on clause, which was one of the wrinkles we put into the deal, which was quite interesting. So Chelsea end up at Moises Caicedo. Um, so just give me your thoughts on the whole thing first. And then I've got some statements for you. And I want you to tell me whether you agree or disagree with them. I mean, the Caicedo thing has been a mess, let's be perfectly honest. The whole Caicedo Ladia situation has been obscene on all clubs' parts, in my opinion. Um, but from a Liverpool perspective specifically, I stand by what we spoke about before the Chelsea game. We have been a bit stupid, a bit naive in our approach, pissing about with, you know, four million less and three million less. It allows not only um less time for that new player to integrate if you do finally reach an agreement with them, but it also allows other teams to jump in. And that's exactly what went on and happened. Then what a day after we spoke about it, you know, we didn't really think it might be the case with Lavia at the time, but that's what's proven to be the case. If they go on and get him, Mm. who do you then turn to? Do you you acknowledge that you are going to your third choice or do you do what we've done previously and say, no, we only wanted these two. So we're going to wait another whole year before we go and get a new first choice. We've done it before. so it There, there be is no of... circumstance under which Liverpool can wait if they do Jurgen no, Klopp. No, absolutely not. The season. Jurgen Klopp will be absolutely sacked. Not. He will be sacked this season if Liverpool do not sign a defensive midfielder. That is a fact. Probably, probably two. Probably two, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah agreed. The, you know, the agreed. number of players who come in. And... But what I'm saying is there's precedent for Liverpool deciding this and it would be... I don't know what they would see it as face saving. Um, no one else of the right caliber at the moment. Whatever it is, they would they would have you know some some justification in their minds, which would be wrong because it would cost more than that in the long run. Not just for the Premier League placement, not just for the you know, transfer fee inflation next season, but also like you say, if we we revamp the entire managerial situation, that's going to cost a fortune as well. And then you still have to bring in new players mm. or a new coach and play in the way that they want to. Well, the only person that has precedence in saying let's wait is Jurgen. It's it's nobody else at the club. He is the one that has driven that twice to wait for the right player. He he waited for Ibu rather than signing David Carmo or Sven Botman when he had the opportunity to. And then, which in fairness, wasn't the worst choice because obviously they're both left-sided centre-backs. We could do with them now in the new shape, but at the time it didn't make sense to commit enormous money to a left-side centre-back when we would have Virgil coming back. And he chose to wait last summer. Last summer, he he tried to get Chiumeni, didn't get Chiumeni, was offered plenty of alternatives and decided he wasn't going to take them and he turned them all down. So nobody to blame, only himself. That cannot be the, the situation again this year or he will not see out the year. 
He will not survive a third bad year out of four. Absolutely no chance. The Lavia thing is is odd. It's very clear to me that we were waiting on too many. And it's been reported today that, not reported because it's not a reporter who said it, but David Ornstein has, has reported on what was said. So there's an account on Twitter that everybody will know called The Secret Scout, who I believe is an agent or a former agent. Very, very good on young player movement, always kind of a step ahead on that type of thing. And definitely gets information on senior transfers as well, notably from London clubs. He had quite a lot of stuff right about Caicedo, quite a, quite a lot of stuff right about Lavia. He was the one that said Liverpool have inquired to Real about Chiumeni and Fede Valverde. Now, Valverde doesn't really help us unless we're going to change shape again, but that's that's an aside. I believe we were waiting on Chiumeni Mbappe decided to stay at PSG. Chiumeni is therefore off the market because Real probably would have had to sell him to bring in Mbappe in terms of funds and finances and FFP and whatever else. And we immediately pivoted and went to to Caicedo. And I think they were our big two. They were, we wanted one of those two and we would pay whatever it took. In terms of Lavia, though, it's very clear to me that he was not a priority target. We wanted Romeo Lavia to be a backup to Fabinho, that we could develop into a starter. We didn't view him as somebody that could come in and start straight away. And even when Fabinho left, that didn't change. We didn't view him as someone that was going to walk in and immediately be the first choice defensive midfielder. Hence, we stuck to what we viewed as a valuation for him. Now, in the last day or so since the Caicedo thing fell out of our hands uh, we apparently have agreed a fee of 60 million with Southampton for him but he may prefer a move to Chelsea we don't know what the makeup of that 60 million pound bid was it could be 45 and 15 and add-ons it could be 50 and 10 who knows I don't really care at this point here's where I stand on this Carl if we didn't think he was worth 50 a week ago I'm not really in favour of us going for him at 60 when we could potentially go and get others who can come in and start. If he's one of two, then great, as long as the other one is a ready-made starter. But I'm I'm not going to be overly annoyed if we lose out on him because, again, I don't think we viewed him as a priority target. I think he was someone we thought, had huge upside that we could develop into an elite level six, but I don't think we view him as that right now. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think um, as we spoke about during the summer, it would have been Lavia plus one, even if that plus one wasn't the elite level of defensive midfielders such as Caicedo sort of thing. If it was one of the other ones which had been spoken about, there was Amrabat for a little while. Um, you mentioned Kevin Phillips at one point as well. If it was one of that ilk, more experienced, an older player, someone who could come in and start straight away, even if you don't think they're absolutely world-class, and then you play Lavia alongside them along the way, and you think that he could be, I think that's a great approach. If you were getting Caicedo, you don't need Lavia because Caicedo is young enough that he'll be that player anyway going forward, you know? So it would have been just the one rather than one and then one later on as well. I, I feel like it would have been two, but it might have been Caicedo and Andre or something like that. 
But yeah, I, I think that's no. Somebody did say to me we did want both, but it was it was unlikely. So let me let me give you the following statements, Carl, and uh, and let me know if you agree or disagree with these statements. So statement one: the only thing Liverpool have lost in this pursuit of Caicedo is time. And that's the only thing Liverpool fans have lost as well, because on Wednesday, none of us even considered him a possibility. Um, I don't think Liverpool fans have lost anything, to be perfectly honest. That's my opinion of it. It's stupid and it's an annoying situation, but we haven't lost anything on this whatsoever. We haven't no. you know, sold a player, for lost out on profit, anything of this sort. We've been... Annoyed or duped or whatever you want to call it, but really, Liverpool fans have lost nothing on this unless they've gone out and bought Caicedo shirts. In which case, that's your own fault. Um, yes, agree. Liverpool, 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 Liverpool. Have Liverpool lost? No, I think Liverpool have cost themselves here. But, you know, you could have had a Lavia deal done and have somebody in the squad and just be working towards the second one, and probably give yourself more leverage on the price you're willing to pay for that second one if you already have one in through the door. Now, after a performance like that with players lining up in the way that they are, yes, I think they've cost themselves a little more than time. Okay. Statement two. If Romeo Lavia would like to go to Chelsea and compete with Leslie Okachukwu and Andre Santos to be Moises Caicedo's backup, Liverpool should allow him to do so rather than trying to convince him to come to Anfield at an overpriced fee. I don't agree with this. Um, the Athletic are now reporting Ornstein is reporting that Lavia has chosen to join Chelsea from Southampton Liverpool were pursuing but are aware of decision uh, no issues expected on deal or personal terms fee likely to be around 50 million plus add-ons probably matching the 60 that we had offered so it makes no difference we can move on from that um, statement number three Liverpool will be better off signing Czech to Kure for 70 million than Romeo Lavia for 60 million I suppose it's an irrelevance now, but I think 70 million for Chet de Coeur is a lot of money. It is a lot of money, but 110 or 115 million is a lot of money for <laughs> Moises Caicedo. Yes, that like, is also true. This is the thing. The next statement was going to be Moises Caicedo isn't a 110, 115 million pound player. Romeo Lavia isn't a 60 million pound player. I agree. But Declan Rice and, and, and the Enzo deal have have thrown the market upside down? Um, I mean, yeah, I agree with those last two, in fact, all of those statements, but that still doesn't mean that you have to pay market value for what you believe of the player. You know, you you can have your valuation and think that they're not worth more than that to you just because they are to the wider market. You won't get them in that case, but then they don't matter that much to you. That's my point, you know? If, you, if you're not prepared to pay that much, then they are not that value to you. Yeah, that, well, that's the thing. That's exactly the thing. Um, right, end of statements. Let, let's actually have a chat about this now. So, Lavia gone, Caicedo gone. For me, the two best options out there, and I, I firmly believe we have the money to do both based on the fact that we have an offer. We, ha- we have offered for Lavia, we have offered for Caicedo, we have offered for Andre, we have... Uh, inquired about Chiamani and Valverde. I believe we have the money. If we could go and get Czech de Coure, let's say we can get him for 65 and some add-ons, 
right? It might it might take it to 70 or 75, but let's say 65 is the money up front. And Florentino Luis, who reports suggest is available for around 50 to 55. I think if we signed both of those two, we would be in a much better situation than we would have been if we just signed Caicedo. And it would only cost us about nine million more up front. Who are you making the starter? Dakure. So we've spoken about Florentine Luis before a few times. And as I said, I'm, I'm kind of leaning to where you go on him because he's not one that I've watched anywhere near as much as you have. So taking into account where you think he is, do you think I think he could walk in and be the? Start? I think he could walk in and be the starter. I mean, if if it was him and somebody else, I'd be delighted. I just think Dakure is a better player than him. I think Czech Dakure might be the most underrated midfielder in the league right now. I don't think the gap between him and Caicedo is in any way sizable. If you look at their defensive numbers, Czech Dakure is an absolute monster defensively. He's a better defensive player right now than what Moises is. And Moises has enormous potential and he's two and a bit years younger. But I think right now, Dakure is the better defensive player. Now, Caicedo is better on the ball, but part of that is that Crystal Palace put Dakure in a little box last season and didn't allow him to show what he's capable of on the ball. When he was at Lens, we talked about him when he was at Lens. And one of the things you liked about him when he was in France was how progressive he was. And when we talked about him when he was at Palace, one of the things you highlighted was he wasn't progressing the ball the way he had in France. That, to me, is coming from the manager rather than the player. That's not him making a decision to be less progressive. That's the manager telling him to rein things in a bit. Yeah, 100%. Look, look I've been talking about Takori for... Two and a half years now, something like that. And I'm a little bit hesitant to say that much money on him simply because it's another one who we've earmarked before as being capable of reaching this level. We don't go and get him and then suddenly he's worth, or the market value of him is four times more than it was. And he's not a different player. You know, He's not a worse player. He's not dramatically better player. He's been used a little differently and even within himself perhaps. But why should that suddenly mean that we pay four times the amount for him? That's what really irritates me. Same with... Rafinha, same with any one of the many of Southampton ones we bought back in the day, same as loads of them. That's my only thing on Decore. You know, he was a player we could have had for probably 15 million at one point. Well, last summer he moved for 21. Yeah, last summer he moved for 21. And and we sat on our hands. Six months early. Yeah. 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 This is like, this is. Yeah. This is what frustrates me of doing these deals, though, or chasing these players. And I mean, even like. Manukone now, like so since Decore moved, Kone was the one who I basically earmarked from that point onwards is the one we should get. And now he's injured and he's out until I think mid September, the next week or two, isn't it? Yeah. So only a couple of weeks more, right? We'll do nothing. And then he'll have himself probably five outrageous months across the course of the next season and someone will pick him up. And then he'll be a 70 million pound player, 90 million pound player. And there'll be talks about us going for him again. Yeah. And it's, it's, very frustrating to watch this happen time after time after time. Yeah, it is. It, like, it, it totally is. Last summer, we could have set ourselves up in midfield with Dukure for 21 million, with 
I mean, Bubakar Kamara went for free last summer and we didn't even attempt to get involved. You know, Paulinha went for 20 million. Now Fulham won 70 because that's what the market is now. Like, there's only one person to blame here, and that's the guy who decided not to pursue any of these players. But we should have been all over. Last summer, we could have got Dukure and Amadou Onana for about 55 million. They were sitting there. Both of them had interest in the move. We looked Mm. at both of them, and we bought neither of them. Now, Onana, it's very unlikely that Everton would sell to us, but they are piss poor. So maybe if you offer them a bit over their asking price, they would relent. Who knows? But if we came out of this window with, say, let's say it was Dekure and Conan, who we have had long-term interest in. Let's say we just went and got those two now. We got Dekure and we had to overpay for him. And let's say it's seven, it's 65 rising to 75. It's an overpay. No one doubts that it is, but he's probably a 50 million pound player. But let's then say we could get Manu Kone for 30 million. Well, for me, I would view him as also being around a 50 million pound player. So does the overpay on one balance out the underpay on the other? If I said to you for 100 million, Carl, you can have Manu Kone and Cech Dekure, and I don't tell you the makeup of the fees. I just tell you it's 100 million. And these are the two players you can have. Do you do it? No, it's a fair point. I'd be I'd be fairly tempted. I really would. I mean, whether or not this is reactionary, people can make up their own mind. But again, it's someone we've spoken about before. First thing I'd be doing now is going and getting Tyler Adams. We know the price of him. He's twenty million. The we know he's not Carol, it's the, the starter. It is the injuries, but it's also a player who can cover at least three of the positions and we're not going to be playing him every single minute in the most ridiculously demanding of roles where he has been all the time previously. I know, but we're talking about a guy who's going to, who's, when, when he comes back, he'll have missed seven months with a hamstring injury, which has to mean he tore his hamstring tendon. Well, I mean, we're obviously going to assume that he has a rigorous medical and that he passes with flying colours. Like just since 2018-19, back injury, abductor problem, abductor problem, fitness, abductor problem, torn muscle fibre, media collateral ligament injury can happen to anybody, back problems, muscle problems, thigh problems, hamstring problems, like he just, his muscles are an issue. He, he is an injury prone player. That to me, would be a major red flag. Given we've just gotten rid of Ox and Naby, I I would really be against, and I really like Tyler Adams. I really like Tyler Adams. But I would be against the idea of signing anybody with that type of injury track record over five seasons. Like, there's not a season where he doesn't have multiple injuries, bar last season, where he had a season ender that cost him three months of the year, was a major factor in his team getting relegated, and he's still not even training yet. No, look, I mean, if it's the case that Chelsea did back out, and there's been obviously a few reports that it was because of ongoing issues with the same hamstring, then obviously you can't do that. But if we're talking about a medical which is done, and for that price, for what he can do, what he, where he can fill in, our squad is not in a good place right now. It's as simple as that, you know. It's all well and good saying like we might be able to get in some more million for Thiago or whatever and 
there are still two or three players we could go for, but we haven't. It's it's getting to the point where if another team comes in and does what Chelsea have done with Lavia, for example, and you're suddenly casting around for a fourth or fifth choice midfielder, it's not going to be a good season either way. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a tad predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. It's not. That's why I'm saying go and overpay for Dekure if you have to and go and get Kone because we know Borussia Mönchengladbach have financial issues. And while they've come out and said, oh, we're going to keep them another year, <clears throat> you put the money on the table and they'll take it. There's other options as well. We could we could resurrect the deal for Kefren Turam. No, he's not a six, but maybe that's a good thing. You get an actual six like Dekure and someone like Kefren Turam who can play there and everywhere else in midfield for you. Maybe that helps us. For me, that's what I'd be doing, though. I would be going to Palace and saying, look, this is what, what we're willing to pay. What are you willing to do here with us? And if it takes that we have to do a bit of finagling or whatever, so be it. So be it. If it takes a bit of horse trading, maybe there's somebody we have that they would like on loan. If, if they'd like Ben Doak on loan for a year, I'd consider it personally. Um Although it's, it's quite poor, poor Ben Doak send them to work under under Roy for a year. I don't know if I could do that to the poor lad. It is quite a, a case of almost, almost, not yet, maybe another week down the line, but almost that we've got ourselves in the position where we're going to have to overpay for whoever we get now. Yeah, but that, one, that is the, the fact. Time, that two, because of the bid. So, so the idea would be if we're going to overpay on one, we should try and underpay on the other. Now, like you said, Tyler Adams, if it is him, 20 million is a bargain. You're just going to have to manage him really carefully. If it's Manu Kone, again, he's had some injury problems himself. But again, 30 million for him is definitely below what he's actually worth. That kid is really, really good. I think we can find plenty of solutions in the market, but we need to get our our, our arson gear. Like, yeah, everybody knows we have money now. Everybody knew we had money anyway. Like Liverpool might think they're the smartest guys in the room, but unfortunately for them, the smartest guys in their room, well, they left. Michael Edwards is gone. Ian Graham is gone. So the smart guys at Liverpool are, are in the background. Will Spearman and such. They're no longer involved in the final process in this. Instead, we've got Jörg Schmatke, whose only contribution to our summer so far was going to Leipzig spending an entire day trying to negotiate them off the buyout clause, failing and paying the buyout clause. And that's all he's seemingly done. 
and he's doing most of his work from a villa in Ibiza. So on September 1st, he needs to be future endeavoured. And a conversation needs to be had with the coaching staff to be told, we're bringing in a real sporting director here and you can shut your mouth and like it or lump it. It's happening. And that's just all there is to it. Because the ownership need to start putting the football club before the feelings of certain people at the club. And no more allowing Jörg Schmatke, who was fucking retired, to be brought into the club. Um, Anyway, let's move on. Favourite transfers from around Europe, Carl? Not moving two Premier League teams. Um, What have you got for me? Thiago Lasso and shoot to Atletico Madrid. Say that to me again. Thiago Lasso and to Atletico Madrid. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of your least favourite defenders. <clears throat> I guarantee you, Marie, um, Simeone makes him into an absolute monster. I bet you he doesn't play half the games from the start this season because he's found out and is chucked out of the team immediately. Not at all. Not at all. Simeone is so incredibly good. He made Stefan Savage look competent for years. And Stefan Savage is awful. He made Kieran Trippier a decent defender. And the Kieran Trippier he bought couldn't defend to save his life. Couldn't guard a corner flag. So, El Cholo will work things out. Now, I want serious answers here. No more of your shenanigans. Okay. Um, I think Gundogan to Barcelona is a good one. Yeah. I think he will make a difference to them. Yeah, I like that one. I think it's a very clever signing. I also like... um, Inigo Martinez on a free to Barca as well for similar reasons, just a, a grown up, you know, a, a guy without a big ego, a guy who can fit in, help the culture, be a leader, not have to play every single game, but come in and just be reliable. Not great, but reliable. He's not as good a player as Gundo is in the respective positions, but he's a reliable centre back, which I think w- will help at Barca. Um, Mark Batra returning to Betis. I saw that one happen at the time and thought that is the most magic thing I've ever heard. I wonder is he working for them now? <laughs> um, you you are a lifelong member of the Mark Batra Mark Batra um, fan club. They signed him, Alex Calado, Hector Bellerin, and Aosi Perez all on free transfers. It's it's solid business when you're working to a very tight budget. That's very solid business. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty good work overall, considering they got a, a decent bit of money in for a few sales as well. Oh, and Mark Bar- Mark really uh, Mark Rocket in on loan as well. Yeah, um, Diego Lainez leaving was a bit of a disappointment. Didn't really happen for him. Really talented player when he joined, young player, yeah. but never quite got his uh, his big chance. But the rest of them, I think, are pretty decent there overall. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. Um, I have regrets over over Diego Lines. I, I did think he was going to be something really special when he was coming out of Mexico, but unfortunately, he made the wrong move, or you know, whatever. It just it didn't work. Um, 
a move I haven't seen many people really talk about in terms of the in terms of La Liga and fairly impressive moves. I really like the signing of Andre Silva on loan by Real Sociedad. I think it's a really clever move for them. So I think they lacked that kind of diverse number nine who can, you know, play as as a nine by themselves or in a two, can play up as the one up or the one off. On a on a loan with no obligation to buy, I I think that's a fairly solid move. Solid. It it had obviously a bit of a turnover there and lost Isak obviously halfway through last season. The other side of that deal is uh Sorloth going to Villarreal, who was at um Real Sociedad last season, obviously. So I, I quite like the Sorloth to Villarreal move as a replacement for Nicholas Jackson, but to replace him, um, bringing in, well, another Leipzig player, obviously Silva. I, I agree. I think a, a solid addition should fit well in terms of the, the lineup and the approach for them. But I think out of the two, I just about prefer Sorloth to, to Villarreal. Yeah, that, that, that's absolutely fair. Absolutely fair. Um... Uh, that's probably it from me for La Liga. Obviously, the, the the big transfer in La Liga this summer was Jude. It's it's an obvious one. It's a no brainer. Um, Barca haven't made any big signings as yet with with Usman gone, and we'll probably talk about that in a sec. Be interested to see if they if they make a big move outside of that. Arda Guler is an interesting one if he develops, but he's, he's out with a knee injury now, and Real Madrid. Racked with injuries, Carl. Courtois, mm. there's one for you. Kepa to Real Madrid to replace Thibaut Courtois for the second time because it went really well the first time. Uh, I remember writing about Kepa to Real Madrid before he went to Chelsea because they were really interested mm. in him um, before he even left Athletic. And yeah, it was like good goalkeeper, some really good traits, but he wasn't ready for it mentally at all. And now I just think he's not ready for it on a goalkeeper uh, level. I think he's, you know, quite some distance off the top talents uh, in terms of goalkeepers, but they're kind of in a bit of a bind in terms of what they can do and, and obviously time-wise. Personally, I would be in favour of giving Lunin a bit of a decent run because okay. I think he's looked pretty solid for them all the time, but obviously Ancelotti and that are working to one a bit closer with him. Maybe they see something he's not quite ready in terms of consistency. And secondly, they are working to, let's say, greater expectations than maybe Lunin is capable of. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. Look, they, they clearly, the, the whole club exists to try and win the European Cup. So um, that's maybe they just don't feel he's that calibre goalkeeper. They'll find out fairly quickly that Kepa isn't that calibre goalkeeper either. They mark my words. Uh, Chelsea banished him and went on and won the, the Euro- European Cup and then brought him back and, and finished 12th. So, um, right, let's move to France. Couple of really good moves here. Now, this, this one, this to me is the player we actually missed out on this summer. With all the bullshit that went on around Caicedo and Chumeni and this player in Lavia and that player and whoever else, the guy we should have been in on is Manuel Ugarte, who went from sporting to PSG. I think that's a great signing. I think he is an absolute monster in that defensive midfield role. They signed him, Dem- Usman Dembele, uh, Lucas Hernandez, Hugo Ekatiki, who they already want to sell, 
um, and and Javi Simmons. I would say for me that Ugarte and Javi Simmons deals very very clever. Javi Simmons obviously has been loaned to Leipzig. What's your feeling on the Usman Dembele deal to PSG though? And second PSG related question: Could Neymar being sold be the key to keeping Mbappe? Um, well, I mean, it looks like he's going to be staying now anyway for this year. So I, I think Mbappe's longer term future isn't going to change. I think he'd just be Real Madrid in the summer, to be honest, next summer. So I, I think that this now has gone from being like an overloaded top heavy team to looking fairly weak uh, in, in the final third. But like you say, maybe one or two additions, one or two changes and the overall output of the team could be very, very different just because of the makeup of the team. Even if a technical level has lowered, the overall mentality of this side has been ridiculous Like for three, four years now, hasn't it? So You're maybe not a fan this of is Marco just... Asensio then? I am a fan of Asensio. The depth and quality relative to what they had before and yeah. actually getting that to to have a, a material impact, especially in the Champions League, has obviously been way below what it's needed to be. So maybe a little less talent, but a little bit more cohesion and and team approach is more or less what they needed. To... I'm looking forward to seeing how Goncalo Ramos is used. And there's been talk that they might still try and buy uh, Colo Muani. But if they use Ramos as a nine with Dembele to his right and Mbappe to his left... That might be that might be something that works really really well because he's he's quite unselfish and he can score a lot of goals. Oh, the the Schrinier signing on a free, I love. I think that's a great get for them. Um, moving past PSG, I'll give you a couple more that I really like. Andy Juff to Lens from Basel, really really good signing. He was very very impressive for Basel last year, and he is one that I think will move for big money in a year or two's time. Love the signing of Illamin and Jai by Marseille from Sheffield United. Hate the sale, but love the signing. Um, don't really like what Monaco have done. Not hugely keen on what Wren have done this summer. Uh, but I do like Hakon Arner Haraldson, who's moving to Lille from FC Copenhagen. Young Icelandic uh, attacking midfielder. Very, very exciting player and one to keep an eye on. I like Salisu into Monaco. Um, I think he was one of the ones you would have marked out as being the Southampton crew who were capable of doing a lot more. I thought he might have stayed. Um, but I think that's a pretty smart pickup considering who they've lost from centre-back over the last couple of years. Uh, Enzo Lafay going to uh, Stad Ren is an interesting one. I'm not sure if he's a difference maker overall for them, but that's quite a young collection they've got themselves there now. So overall, maybe that's a a decent look to to go forward with over the next couple of years. Uh, Dujakleta car back to Lyon on loan. Not great. Ainsley Maitland-Niles in on, on a free. Very much good. I approve of that one. Yeah, yeah, I like that one. I think they're, they're clearly uh, feeling the pinch financially this summer. You know who have done done good business is, is Stad Reims. They bring in Mohamed Durami, who uh, Burnley came close to signing. Keito Nakamura, who Liverpool were interested in. And Adama Boyang, who apparently... Now, I haven't seen this kid play. He was playing in Gambia. But apparently this kid is really, really special. They also got Josh Wilson-Esbrand on loan from City, who I quite like. 
they just seem to have gone about very quietly not spending huge sums on any single player. Obviously, they had the Ekatiki money coming in, but they seem to have quietly gone about and had a really good window. Amin Salami, who they bring in from Angier, is a very talented young player as well, uh, centre-forward. Needs to sharpen up in front of goal, but a lot of his all-round game is there. Um, don't know if there's anybody else in in La Liga in in, in Liga. Oh, now it's it's cheating because it's these players have been signed by Chelsea and just you know the name on the contract is Strasbourg, but the money's come from Chelsea. Abakar Sila. Uh, from Club Bruges is is immensely talented, immensely talented. He's a really good signing for them. Um, they've signed a bunch of young players, and I would expect we'll soon see a bunch of young players arrive on loan from Chelsea. But uh, another way to obviously cheat the system is to have have yourself a, a secondary club, and uh, it looks like Chelsea are just going to stockpile more and more young players here uh, as their recruitment team just basically has a game of football manager and signs whoever they want and now have two clubs to, to prick about with. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, Mac boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. The only other one I was going to mention from Nice is actually outgoings for the summer. Um, it was a couple of years ago we were looking at Nice and the attacking young talent that they put together, and it looked really, really promising for them. But this summer, Calvin Stengs has gone back to Feyenoord, Casper mm. Dahlberg has gone to Anderlecht, and Andy Delort was the older one that they had there to sort of complement the rest, but he's also gone to Norse as well. Yeah. Not really worked. No, no, not worked at all. Ross Barkley and Ramsey and <laughs> I was Morgan say, Schneidlin. Ramsey and Barkley. And Morgan Schneidlin, Premier League legends, yeah. all out the door on uh, on freeze. But they did sign uh, they, they did sign Jeremy Boga, who I do quite like. So, um, And they signed Morgan Sanson on loan from Villa, which is a decent one. Uh, what about Serie A then? There's been... Couple of fairly high profile departures with, with Tonali and Schrinier uh, and Kim Min Jay, who I think we'll get on to we do the Bundesliga. Um I do like Jens Kahoost signing for Napoli from Reims. Um he was good against us in the Champions League a few years ago from Italy. He's a decent player. 
Uh, Lazio, Gustav Is- Isaksen, he looked decent for Mitlian, the two games I saw him play. They got Daichi Kamada on a free, but they did lose Sergei Milinkovic-Savage, which is criminal that at 28, uh, he's now off playing in a fourth-tier league against plumbers and school teachers. Um not a oh. Castellanos to Lazio as well is a good one. There's a lot of teams interested in him from Premier League. He was the one who oh, was at Girona last season and scored for uh, scored a hat trick against Real Madrid. Uh, loads and loads of Premier League teams were after him, but obviously none of them quite went through with it. So 50 million pickup that's a decent one for Lazio. That's a decent one, yeah. Like um, they could do because when Immobile doesn't play, there's just no goals, so he could play with Immobile or in place of them. Um, Davide Fratesi to Inter Milan from Sassuolo, loan with an obligation to buy. I quite like that one. Uh, I think they did very well to get way over value for Andre Onana. Um, AC Milan. Can we ask? Oh, no, no, no. Uh, I need to ask first is the most Serie A signing of all time Juan Cuadrado from Juventus to Inter on a free? Yes. It is just, it is pure Serie A. An old geezer moving between major rivals on a free and nobody, nobody even slightly put out. This is the equivalent of Henderson staying, of Henderson's contract expiring. Not, forget Henderson a minute. Milner. This is the equivalent of Milner going to Manchester United on a free. Imagine how annoyed people, now, not if you, not about the football side of it, just about the loyalty side of it. If he rocked up at Old Trafford, you'd laugh, but you'd you'd be fuming that one of our players who we'd had for so long, and Quadrado has been at Juventus now quite a while. Um, you'd be fuming if if they went to to um, to United. It, this happens all the time in Italy, and nobody seems to care. What do we think of AC Milan overall? I think this is a bit of a masterclass window, to be honest. Now, I'm not hugely keen on the Pulisic signing just because of the injuries, but there's no questioning that kid is very, very talented. Samuel Chukwesi, he, he, he frustrates me. There's clear, clear talent. And it's not long ago, Carl, people were saying he's the next £100 million player. Hasn't worked out. 20 million euro is a great buy. I love the signing of Yunus Musa. Love the signing of uh, Tijani Renders. Quite like the signing of Ruben Loftus-Cheek. I think that league will suit him really well. Love the signing of Luca Romero. Love, love, love the signing of Noah Okafor from Salzburg for 14 million. I think he's immensely talented. And they did all of that largely from the money they got for, for Sandro Tonali. So I think they've done really, really well this year. And I think, given how Juve, Inter and Napoli have all failed to strengthen, really, overall, I kind of feel like AC Milan are now favourites for Serie A this coming season. Yeah, if they put together a bit consistently and they've got to get, let's say, two of the many attacking and wide players that they've got firing quite early on I think but if they do that they got a really good chance I like the depth there as well however I don't think they had the best window in Syria this summer I think that belongs to Atalanta 
who sold Rasmus Hoijland for way over value to United with the back problem, sold Jeremy Boga, sold uh, Joachim Mal, sold Piscina, sold Malinowski, sold Sam Lammers, got decent money for all of them. Turned around, brought El Belil Toure from Almeria, who's immensely talented. Signed Mitchell Backer, I'm not hugely keen, but he's decent. They got Kalasnik and Adobo on freeze. And then they got Gianluca Scamacca for 25 million euro. And they're currently in the process of finalizing a deal for Charles de Catelier on loan with an option, an obligation or an option to buy. I'm not sure which. I think Scamacca, Toure, and de Catelier potentially as a front three with de Catelier behind the other two. It could be one of the most explosive attacks in Europe next season. And they got it all done for less than the fee that they got for Rasmus Hoysland, who scored nine goals last season in the league. My only concern of that is the delivery to them, because it's, it could be a really, really good attack if they all click. And obviously that could take a little bit of time. But I mean, I, I think Mitchell Backer, if we can go into technical terms here, is poo. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I wouldn't have any disagreement with that. I, I would put Saeed Kalasnik in, in a similar uh, category. So, yeah, I, I think you have a fair point. Like, who is who is getting the ball to these players? Um, there, was, there was, not last season so much, but prior to that, there was a really, really varied attack for... Uh, Atalanta. It was it was very very difficult to stop them because they could press really quickly. They could run the channels. They had very very aggressive, decent in the air players, uh, crossing from wide, attacking wing backs. All of those were really really good. I think when they sort of offloaded, let's say from the Gorsons period afterwards, I think they became a bit more predictable and a bit slower moving as well. And I'm not seeing massive creativity there from sort of the, the not the second line if you haven't. Um, sort of two and a one let's say play but behind them I'm not seeing loads at the minute yeah this is a case where I, I like the goalkeeper Musso I like the centre-back group that they've got especially Akoli and Scalvini the two young players I, I, the attacking options here are ludicrous not just the three they're bringing in Luis Muriel is still there Duvan Zabata is still there chances are he'll leave They've also got a, a, a Adamola Luckman, who I really like. They've got Lat Lat, or Latte Lat, the Ivory Coast uh, attacker as well. Centre midfield is a little bit weak. Coop Miners is good, but not great. Wing backs is where I think they've got major issues. Yeah. Uh, and that's probably, if they're going to do anything else in this window, it needs to be. It needs to be in that area. Now they've still got Hans Hattebor, who's past his best at this point, but you know, still does a job. Uh he can't the ACL. Oh, he is, isn't he? Oh yeah, well he might Yeah, you can't you can't rely on that. And Zabacost is not, not the one. No, Zabacost is crap. So yeah, they're gonna have to figure out figure out the service from wide for, for certain. Um but they they're very very good in the market and they just find value. So mm. I would I wouldn't rule out them pulling something out. Uh, surprised that Roma have done so little. Evan and Dicke, Hasmauer, Rasmus Christensen on loan. So two frees and a loan. No, no no players bought in. 
um, which is especially weird considering Tammy Abraham's expected to miss the first half of the season. So remains to be seen what they'll do. Uh, they did sell Ibanez, which was a surprise, and Justin Clivert, which was no surprise. Uh, don't like what Juve did because all they really did was add uh, Timothy Weah on for uh, like 10 million and Facundo Gonzalez, who I do like on the cheap, but Moise Keen, Manuel Locatelli and Milik, they had all of them, didn't they? So that none of that helps. That's just turning uh, loans into permanent deals. Um, outside what of that... About, what about Fiorentina bringing Nato Mello on loan? <laughs> I, I, I really wanted to work out from... I really, really do. I'm I'm now invested in Arthur Mello and what becomes of him because I think he was horribly tre- treated last year at Liverpool. I really want him to do well. They also signed Yeri Mina on a free, which I, I completely missed. Um, I, I hope they've got a good physio. That's all I can really say. I hope they have a really, really good physio. Um, the, the Argentine striker, Lucas Beltran, he looks a player though, so curious to see how he does. Uh, we'll finish up. window is a bizarre one. <laughs> it's yeah, but the Fiorentina are a bizarre club. Let's get ourselves wrapped up quickly. Um, we haven't touched on this. So Harry Kane to Bayern Munich is done and dusted. Um, they mm. also signed Kim Min Jae. I'm not sure the the Champions League contenders though, Carl. I don't I don't love what I see in midfield from them. Um, I think a lot of that is going to depend on how. Uh, Tuchel puts them together basically as a unit because I think like Bayern are probably fine in terms of personnel if they are looking to maximise, let's say, the front four and the midfielders can just do the job in there that he wants them to do. Very, very solid, not too much positional rotation, lots of ball winning, lots of distribution, but basically being a platform. I think Kimich Goretzka, Lima probably as the, as the three of them, you can do that. And then Gravenberch as and when. But then you need to really release Musiala, Coman, Sane, Gnabry, Kane, let's say, and Muller as a as an additional one. But if you can get four of them really, really working in harmony, I think the midfield is probably okay as a platform. And in games where you know you're going to dominate possession, maybe then you can bring in a Musiala to play as one of the double pivot and be a little bit more extravagant from deep, let's say. I think it's okay for those kinds of games. But if you really want to be Champions League contenders... First, the thing that we need to see, which we haven't yet, is a defensive partnership. Without that, no team is winning the Champions League. I don't care what else they bring in and attack. We've seen it year after year after year now. Whoever goes on to win the Champions League basically has a defensive unit, whether that is the goalkeeper being perfectly in sync with the two defenders ahead of him or you've got your centre-backs and a brilliant defensive midfielder. You have to basically have a defensive platform to win the Champions League. End of discussion. By now pretty new with this in terms of goalkeepers going to be coming in, Kim and Jai's new signing. Uh, that kind of was obviously in and out last season in terms of his form. Uh, the lift, have we really seen the best of him since he left Ajax? I'd say not. Uh, no, definitely not. Definitely not. He hasn't been particularly good since going there. I don't know that there's really a partnership there that I like between the three of them. They spent big money now on Upa Meccano, Delict, and and Kim and Jen. I don't know if there's really a pairing that I like. I don't know that Kim is a particularly <clears throat> ideal partner for Upa Meccano, who wants to do the same things as him. And 
Delict to me just I, I just think he's regressing constantly. Um, big questions over them. Dortmund, Felix Nemecha, I really like. Marcel Sabitzer is a good player in the Bundesliga. Uh, ben Sibiani is a, a really good get at a left back. He he improves them. I think Leipzig have pulled off yet another masterclass. Now, they've obviously had some huge sales in Kunku, Dominic, and Gvardiol. Luis Appenda, Castillo Lokeba, Benjamin Sesko, Christoph Baumgartner, Nicholas Sievold, El Chadel Bichiabu, I think is how you pronounce it. Um, and Javi Simmons and Fabio Carvalho in on loan. That's, that's fairly impressive to me that they managed to do that in one window. I think they're like 150 million spent and still making a massive, massive profit this year. It's, it's a bit of a weird one to have so much money mm. coming in in one window, but they're obviously very, very well prepared for it. I'm really interested to see how Upender gets on because I think sometimes he looks a car crash and sometimes he can look unstoppable. So I'd like to see him playing much more consistently than I have done previously. Obviously, I'll get more opportunity to watch him than I did with with Lons all the time now. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that works. Um, honestly, I think still the best player at this team is one that they haven't sold or bought. And that's Danny Olmo. I think he's come on so much and... He's basically going to be one of the leaders that they look to now. And with everybody ahead of him, the talent that they have, they could probably afford now, given the other numbers they have, to give Sesco like a really easy bedding in year if they want yeah. to. And then look for him like from next season and onwards. There's loads of loads and loads of options here, isn't there? Yeah, I think they're looking at Danny almost being the uh, the big money sale for, for next summer. Looking through the rest of the Bundesliga. There is nobody else that catches my eye. Is there anybody there uh, or anybody anywhere that's one that you really liked? I think Union Berlin's incomings is pretty good. Um, Diego Lete is a, a good few player. players. Or Diogo Lete. Yeah, Diogo Lete. Yeah, Lete. And they brought Sartre in as well, who, again, didn't have a great time of it of late, but I think he was pretty decent previously, especially um, prior, prior to, well, anybody joining Hertha, to be perfectly honest, over the last five or six years. Um Schwalow in goal, I think, is a again pretty solid addition. I think he's been good in a number of years in Germany. Uh Fana up front as a loan signing. Brendan Aronson in on loan from Leeds. Both of them really good. Alex Kral coming in on loan as well. We've spoken about him plenty. Never got a chance at West Ham, but he's always been a player that I've quite liked the style of. So I think that they've made the squad really, really strong there, to be honest. Yeah, I, I think that's actually fair. I have I think I have wrongly overlooked them. I think that's actually a really, really good window, to be fair. Um, I quite like Victor Boniface to uh, to Leverkusen, though I'm not sure about the Granite Jacket thing, so I'm not including them. Um, we'll talk more about what teams did and didn't have great windows when the window closes, but without question, Carl, the best transfer that any club has made in this transfer window is the mighty Aletifak signing England's Jordan Henderson, MBE, captain of Liverpool, vice-captain of England, legendary midfielder for £13 million. So congrats to them on that. They have nothing to add here, Dave. You cannot fill the silence. <laughs> right, we'll leave it there, folks. Is there anything else you want to touch on, Carl, before we go? Oh, um, 
Sandeep wants to know, would you take Hayden Hackney? Well, I will answer quickly and say, as long as it's Ducure and Hackney or, you know, Florentino Luis and Hackney, absolutely I would take him. But as the starter, no. We're talking about a young defensive midfielder for Middlesbrough. You don't sign them and expect to get in the Champions League spots. Simple. No, exactly, exactly. But but a very very promising young player who I think has a huge upside, and I do think Burrow probably would sell um, if you if you put the money on the table. Right. Anything else you want to touch on before we go? Anything you want to plug? Uh, I did a piece from the Chelsea Liverpool game, obviously on. Ridiculous midfields. It's well, it's probably going to be just about worthwhile reading still, but obviously it touches on Caicedo and Brighton being the big winners of that entire shenanigans. So if you would like a little recap of that, then go ahead. There we go. And um, the other winner will be Southampton because Chelsea are going to overpay them as well. And that was it, folks. We will talk to you later in the week when we preview the Bournemouth game. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.